welcome to episode 172 of the Fitness Simplified Podcast. I'm your host, Kim Schlag. On today's episode, we're doing another Q&A episode because, well, you keep asking really great questions. We're talking today about exercise during menopause. Do you need to adjust how you're training? I'm going to talk about that. Ooh, we're going to talk about procrastinating. That's a fantastic subject. If you're like, I've never heard that word, definitely stick around. Or maybe you just heard that word for the first time and immediately were like, wait, I know I do that. So we're going to talk about that. We're talking about non-calorie tracking ways to lose weight. And we also have a couple of questions around the subject of calorie tracking. So that's what we're talking about today. Before we jump in, a good reminder for you is on March 21st, doors open to Fitter After 40, the spring round. This is my eight-week signature training program. We talk about your nutrition. We talk about your training. And in fact, we don't just talk about it. We set it up for you. Once you know exactly how much you should be eating, how you should be training, I work with you. We have weekly Zoom calls. We have a private Facebook community where you and I discuss things together along with the other ladies in the group. You go through it together with your peers. The idea being that not only do we set you up with your plan, but then we help you learn how to navigate the inevitable hurdles that come up that keep you from sticking to your plan. Does that sound familiar? Like you get some energy, you're ready to start a new plan, and then it fizzles out. You have some hurdles, you come up against a wall, and you don't keep going. That's what this coaching helps you to do. So doors open to the waitlist on March 21st. That is so soon. So get your name on the waitlist. If you're even slightly interested, it's where you're going to get the best discount. You're going to get some cool bonuses. You'll be able to find out way more about the program, all the details on the waitlist. So I'm going to put the link to that in the show notes. All right, let's jump into your questions. Hello, my friend. I am back with another Q&A podcast. And the reason I have another Q&A podcast is because you all ask so many amazing questions that I know everyone else is going to relate to. So that's what we're going to do today. I believe it's five questions that I'm going to be answering for you today. So let's get after it. This first question is from Sinwam. And she says, it's emphasized to focus on protein and calories, but when going over on other macros, I go over on calories. Okay. So it's not quite a question. It's more just a statement to discuss. Here's what I want to say about this. I want you to consider what are macros. Let's start there. Macros is short for macronutrients. These are the things that make up our food. Okay. There's also micronutrients. You've heard of micros before. So those are like vitamins and minerals. Those are some good examples of micros. The biggest part of our food is our macros. There are three carbs, fats, and protein. So carbohydrates and protein both have four calories per gram and fats have nine calories per gram, okay? When a person wants to lose weight and they're going to track, the two options that people typically track when we're talking about tracking numbers are either calories. Well, I guess there's more than one. Sometimes people track points, right? That's a made up Weight Watchers system, which I don't love that. I have a full episode about why I don't love Weight Watchers. But if we're talking more about calories and macros, the couple types of ways that people typically do that are just tracking calories, tracking calorie and calories and protein, or tracking all of the macros, which are carbs, fats, and protein. Now, when we look at that, we can see that that last option has the most numbers. It has the most math, right? Carbs, fats, protein. You're tracking three numbers. 
if you're just tracking calories, that's only one number. It's not as helpful because it is important to get in enough protein so that you are losing fat and not muscle. We don't want you to lose muscle, right? So we want you to lose fat. So ideally, we would also have you track at minimum protein and calories. So that's the benefit I see of just tracking the two, that you're only tracking two numbers versus three. Tracking the one calories, it can work, but it's not optimal. There's nothing wrong with tracking all three, carbs, fats, and protein. I don't find that it's better. I find that it's more challenging. First of all, again, it's more math. And it can often end up feeling like you're playing like Tetris, especially like towards the the end of the, the macros that you're, even if you're doing it ahead of time, trying to like hit them just so. It can be like you eating weird meals because you need, you know, you need a couple of grams of protein and some fat. You don't need any carbs or vice versa. It just can be really tricky and you end up eating weird foods to like hit your macros perfectly. What the research indicates is that a person can lose fat equally as well as long as calories and protein are matched on a higher fat diet, a higher carb diet, a lower fat, a lower carb. So if those things don't matter to the bottom line, if you could be successful with either, in my opinion, it's a really great option to just not track the carbs and the fats. Not saying you don't eat them or you don't need them, but you don't track them. That's what I do with my Fitter After 40 members. I just have them track total calories and protein. It's much easier. Um, I have done both. I have absolutely tracked my macros. I always find it a little bit more challenging to do so. And so I prefer to just track the two numbers. Now, that with that background, back to your question, you talked about it's emphasized to focus on protein and calories. But when I go over on other macros, I go over on calories. Yes, because your calorie total is made up of your macros. Okay. The amount of carbs, fats, and protein, when you add those all up, that is your total calories. So if you go over on any one of those, if you go over on carbs, you go over on fats, you go over on protein, or you go over on some combination of those, you will have gone over on your calories. So it is important to not go over on those, but you don't have to track those specifically carbs and your fats to not go over them, right? If you're tracking total calories and protein, it's still all good. So I just really want to make that connection in your mind that macros, carbs, fats, and protein equal your total calories. I think that's the missing piece here for you. So choose which way you want to do it. Do you want to track carbs, fats, and protein? Do you just want to track protein and total calories? Either is fine. Whichever you do, you don't want to go over on your total calories. I hope that helps. All right, next question. This one is from Sylvia Devon. And her question is, is it possible to still lose weight if not tracking calories? What's an alternative? Absolutely it is. So we just talked about tracking calories, tracking macros, but you do not have to do that. I, I do find that for a lot of people, it is the most direct way. It can be a really great education in what what is a calorie? How much energy are you actually eating? Because a lot of times people just have no idea. What does a proper portion size look like? What is a carb? What is a fat? What is a protein? All of that can be really helped when you do track, but you don't have to track. There are many systems that you can come up with in your own life. Um, you don't even have to come up with them. They're just out there available to you um, to track without tracking calories. Habit-based approaches is typically is what I'm talking about here. 
And there are other ways, like there are really crappy ways to track without dropping, dragging calories. You know, there's the, I, what company is that? Is it Beachbody who has like those little tiny colored containers, which isn't necessarily a bad idea. They're just, they give you such a little amount of food. Um, but the idea is you're still tracking how much food you're eating. You're controlling your total calories without actually counting them. That's the idea here. If you would like to lose weight without tracking calories, you need to do something to control your bottom line. Now, there are other ways besides habit-based approaches, which is the main thing I want to talk about here. But this is one of the reasons we see people... I forgot to turn my phone off. I need to do that. This is one of the reasons that we see people doing things like um, doing keto, where they just cut out a whole macronutrient group. So they cut out carbs that helps them to lose weight without ever tracking, right? It's a very unpleasant way to live in my in my book. So that's a possibility. Also with things like um, intermittent fasting, time-restricted eating. If you cut out certain times of day that you're not eating, that can help reduce your total calories without tracking calories. Intermittent fasting is something that um, it definitely can work. It is not better than not fasting. Uh, it really depends if it fits in your life. A lot of people, it's just not a great fit. They don't want to eat two meals that are kind of bigger and in that middle part or part of the day, they like to eat breakfast or they, you know, they're going to be eating later. So intermittent fasting is another possibility for you. I tend to go with a habit-based approach. The idea here being if you stack enough habits, one on top of another, you will be put in a deficit. Let me tell you a story. I had a client a few years back, and this, this is going to really illustrate what you can do without actually tracking your calories. I'm going to call her Jeannie. Now, Jeannie had quite a lot of weight to lose, and she had a whole host of habits that did not serve this goal. And so what we did first is we had I, I had her make a long list of possible changes we could make in her diet. Basically, she listed all of the things that she typically did in a day that were not serving her. Here are some of them. She ate all of her meals out. I am I do mean all. She didn't do any home cooking. She drank 12 Pepsis a day, not diet Pepsis, just Pepsis. She was sedentary. She didn't eat much protein, et cetera, et cetera. So it was a long list. I told her, once you have this list, I want you to consider those items on the list. And we're going to together pick just two of those behaviors to change at first, just two. And I suggested that one of them, I would prefer be that she get some movement in. And that felt good to her. And so we started out with a pretty modest step goal. We worked, well, it was like, I think it was like 4,000 steps to start. I don't remember exactly, but it was, you know, it was a couple thousand days. She was very sedentary before. So it was a big goal for her. So she's going to get like, it was like four to 5,000 steps per day. And then I suggested that from the rest of the list, she could go one of two ways. So we're going to definitely have a movement goal. And I said, you go one of two ways with the rest of these nutrition things. You could pick the lowest hanging fruit. Okay. So basically what seems the easiest or biggest bang for your buck. So what might make the biggest effect? And I said, you know, remember, we're only going to pick one and I want you to think about it. How would you categorize these? Which one feels the easiest? Which one do you think is going to have the most um, effect? And I kind of talked about some of those. And she actually picked biggest bang for her buck, which was tackling these 12 Pepsis a day. So 12 Pepsis a day, if it's a regular size Pepsi, 1,800 calories. 1,800 calories. That's a full day's worth of calories for some people. And for most people, it's a large percentage of their total daily calories. And so this was going to definitely be a big bang for her buck as we reduced that number of Pepsis. The next question I asked her was, okay, pick a number of Pepsis, any number less than 12, because you're currently eating 12. I want you to pick any number less than 12 that you feel confident you could stay under daily using a scale of one to 10. So one is like easy peasy, like no problem. I can definitely stay under this number. 
and 10 being that's just not happening. Okay. And I said, using that scale, I want you to pick a number that's like a seven or an eight on that scale. To my shock, she actually picked three, three. She was going to stay under three. And as it turned out, there wasn't a day that went by where she actually drank three. She never went above two. And often she was at zero. So for our first month together, those are the two habits that she focused on. Walking that four to 5,000 steps and drinking less than three Pepsis daily. And just doing those two things for a month, she lost over five pounds. Five pounds, month one. Okay, so give this some thought in your life. If you were to make a list of possible changes you could make to your eating that would serve you better than what you're currently doing, what would you say that those are? I'm going to give you some ideas of things that you could consider. And then over time, pick two of these maximum. If you're not very active. So if you're getting less, if you're getting less than 7,500 steps, I would say have movement be one of these things and then pick one nutrition one. If you're getting 7,500 or above, you could still pick steps if you're not, look, if you're like getting 12 to 15,000 steps, don't be picking steps. But if you're at 7,500, even you could go up to, you know, 10,000, 12,000. Okay. So increasing your movement, that's steps. Eating all of your foods seated and plated. Having half a plate of vegetables at every meal. Cooking more meals at home. And you would specify what more. Don't just say like, my goal is to eat more meals at home. Like you could get really um, particular about the number. So like, let's say that now you eat out um, every day you eat out lunch and you eat out dinner, you know, four times per week. Pick some number less than that and work your way up so that the ratio is more home cooked, less eating out. Okay. You could pick um, three meals and two snacks. Like I'm going to eat three meals and two snacks. You could pick, I'm going to eat protein at every meal. I'm going to eat 25 grams of fiber daily. I'm going to wait until I'm hungry. I feel physical hunger in my stomach to eat. I'm going to eat mostly minimally processed single ingredient foods. Again, make that number specific. You know, you could say I'm going to reduce the number of pre-packaged treats to X number of treats per day or per week. So over time, as you add one habit on top of another, you will find that you can reduce the total number of calories you are eating without actually tracking your calories. So that's where I suggest you start with that one. Great question. All right, next, the next two are related. We're going to start with this question from Sparkling Shay. She asks, should we adapt our workout routines as we head towards menopause? My answer here would be, it depends on what you were doing before menopause. And by the way, when I'm using the word menopause here, I'm using it to mean the whole menopause transition. So we're talking perimenopause and menopause itself, okay? Oftentimes women are way more symptomatic in that perimenopause period. Know that I'm speaking to you here as well, specifically you. Um, if you're feeling symptomatic with menopause, I'm definitely talking to you as I move further on here with my comments. Okay, so what were you doing before? That's going to inform whether you need to adjust what you're doing in menopause. There is no menopause workout plan. There is not a list of like, don't do these things during menopause. And anyone who's saying like, don't do HIT or only do gentle movement, they're misguided. But if before menopause, you say we're not lifting weights or you weren't doing workouts that loaded you properly or you were doing some crazy amount of cardio or you weren't doing any cardio at all, 
then yes, we should adapt to what you're doing. Not because it's a special menopause workout program, but because it's time, right? We need, as you age, we want you to age healthier. We want you to do things like um, combat sarcopenia. That's age-related muscle loss. We want you to combat osteoporosis. That's the weakening of your bones. We want you to combat heart disease. That's the number one killer of women all over. And specifically, as we age in our younger years, more men than women die of heart disease, but in menopause, we catch up, we catch up. And so we want to work on doing what we can to strengthen your heart, strengthen your bones, strengthen your muscles. We want us to work on strengthening your entire body. Okay. So if you weren't doing those things before menopause, we want you to start doing them now. Specifically, we want you to strength train with progression. And I have plenty of podcasts talking more specifically about what that means. Minimum two times per week. Ideally, I'd say more than that, um, but minimum two times per week, usually three to four can help you get in what you need without doing, you know, so much that it feels um, like, wow, this workout is super long. So three to four times a week I find is optimal. So we want you to do that strength training. We want you to do cardiovascular training. The guidelines say 150 to 300 minutes of moderate intensity cardiovascular activity or 75 to 150 minutes of vigorous intensity cardio or a combo of the two. On top of that, well, actually, let me say that again, not on top of that, included in that, we want you to have daily movement. So studies suggest that walking six to 8,000 steps per day if you're over age 60 and eight to 10,000 steps per day if you're under age 60 is associated with a decreased risk of all-cause mortality. So again, that's not in addition to the cardiovascular training I mentioned above, but that can be a part of it. Okay. And then lastly, we want you to include some higher impact weight bearing exercise to help strengthen your bones. Strength training also is going to help strengthen your bones, but some of this higher impact weight bearing activity, this could be things like jumping, uh, dancing, doing stairs, hiking, running exercises that include impact like cleans and lateral heightens and step ups. Those four things can really make a well-rounded menopause training program. So we've got the progressive strength training, we've got our cardiovascular training, daily movement, and some higher impact weight bearing exercise. All of that said, an important consideration for training in menopause is how you are feeling. Okay. It's not that your body can't do what it did before, or you should stay away from certain things, but you just might not feel well. I had a terrible time during perimenopause. I am, I have now been fully in menopause for a year. I've been, yeah, just this last month I've hit. Um, so it's been two years since my last period now. So I've been fully in menopause for a year. In the time leading up to that, I started my perimenopause uh, journey. I'm going to put that in your quotes. I was 43 when I had my first symptoms, which were vertigo. Yep. I was actually on a treadmill at the gym and I had to go to the emergency room. I had no idea what was happening to me. Um, that was my first bout with vertigo and I did have it multiple other times. I learned how to manage it. So I didn't after the first couple of times at the emergency room, so I didn't have to keep going back, but I really struggled with lack of energy with, um, hot flashes, um, which was really taking a toll on how much I was sleeping. There was a really big stretch as I was leading up to actually going to the doctor to um, get prescribed HRT, where I didn't sleep a solid night from February to May. Like I was not feeling great. There are lots of symptoms in menopause that ha might have you feeling like, oh my gosh, like working out? I don't think so. 
So we do want you to consider how do you feel? My good friend, Amanda Thebe, if you don't know Amanda, she is a trainer as well. She is um, a menopause advocate. She has a fantastic book about menopause called Menopocalypse. I just spent a couple of days up at her house in Canada. She did a post recently, which I thought was just so well said about how she managed um, exercising with her exhausting menopause symptoms. She came up with a scale and I'm going to quote her here. The next bit I say, I'm going to start quoting her here. She says, I created a scale of one to 10 during my most troublesome symptomatic years that looks something like this. One is bone dead tired or depressed and 10 is full energy. Bring it on. I then adjusted my workouts accordingly. One to two, I'm going to go for a walk. Even if I don't feel like I can, just 10 minutes typically improved my mood. Okay, so that's what she did. If she felt like a one or a two, go for a walk. Three or a four, light activity, a mobility session, an easy swim, a bike ride, some type of movement that feels good for my body, but that isn't a workout. If she rated herself a five or a six, she says she reduced her version of her planned workout. So she did her typical workout, but she did a reduced version concentrating on form and biomechanics. Okay, so that reduced version, I'm assuming, looked something like um, less load. So she's not lifting as much weight, uh, less reps, less sets. Somehow she reduced how much work she was doing, really focusing on her form and biomechanics. If she felt like a seven or eight, she would do her planned workout. And sometimes she says it would go to plan. And other times she might still need to reduce her total volume. And nine out of 10, if she felt like a nine or a 10, she would carpe the diem out of her workout. So this is a great scale for you to use. So no, you don't need a special menopause workout, but you do need to pay attention to how you're feeling. You might not be feeling well. In those times, use the scale and pick your version of these types of um, these types of scaling for what your movement and your exercise might be that day. Okay. This next question ties along nicely with that. This one is from Mary McCorm 89. And Mary says, I'm 51. I stopped hit and I stopped jogging. I only strength train and walk, but I have gained weight. Do I cut calories? So I want to talk about that first part. I'm not sure if you're connecting the stopping of those things of hit and jogging to your weight gain. Like it sounds like maybe you're saying, I thought if I stopped hit and jogging, I would lose weight, but I'm gaining weight. Maybe that's what you're saying. That's how I'm reading it. But like I said above, those activities can absolutely have a place in your life. They don't need to be there for weight loss, however, but you could absolutely be doing them. You could also never jog or never do a single hit workout and lose all the weight you want to lose. I don't program running in my Fitter After Fording program. If someone's a runner, I can absolutely have them add in strength training in conjunction with my Fitter After 40 program, but I don't program running nor do I program HIT. I do include some metabolic conditioning, but not HIT specifically. You don't have to have those things, but those things are not going to cause you to not be able to lose weight. But it's, it's what it sounds like you're saying here to me, Mary. So I just wanted to be clear about that. The next thing I want to say is if you're gaining weight, you are in a calorie surplus. Now that could be less movement. It sounds like you cut out quite a bit of movement. It could be that you've begun eating more calories. It could be a combination of the two. As far as what to do now, you said, should I cut calories? Yes. Oh, here come my dogs barking. I think someone is daring to walk by my home. It is way more efficient and effective 
not to mention it fosters a healthier relationship with exercise to create your calorie deficit with your nutrition rather than adding in more exercise for the purpose of creating your deficit. So setting up a calorie deficit nutritionally will be key. And I have a couple of resources for you to help you do that. First is a free resource. I'm going to link these in the show notes. I have my free five-day fat loss crash course. I can talk you through the basics of setting up your nutrition for yourself as far as your calories and your protein. The second, I have my new round of Fitter After 40 starting. Doors open on March 21st. That is so soon. And I will set your nutrition for you. I walk you step-by-step through exactly what to do, uh, what to eat, how to eat it, well, not how to eat it. You're going to eat it with like a fork, right? <laughs> a fork or a spoon out of a bowl or a plate. Although now we do talk about some things about how, as far as eating seated and plated, not grazing, those kinds of things. So yeah, I'm going to stick by that. I do teach you how to eat it, but I will help you set up your nutrition. My eyes will be on your nutrition for you. I teach you how to do it. And then I look over your work for you and I make sure that we are really solid with what your numbers should be. And then I help you figure out how the heck do I actually stick with these numbers. That's what we do in Fitter After 40. I also program your exercise for you, give you your six-week training program to help you um, get as fit as possible. So that's another option for you. I'm going to put the link for that for the waiting list in the show notes as well. Hope that helps, Mary. All right. Our last question today is from Lee Halliday Photo. Lee says, procrastinating, it is always where I fall down. Strategies? Absolutely. I, I learned about the word procrastinating. Well, let me tell you this. I've been a procrastinator. Historically, I have been a procrastinator, but I did not know that that was a term until I met Georgie Fear. I've had Georgie on the podcast twice now. Georgie's fantastic. I will link the episodes I've done with her in the show notes. And I don't know if she coined the word procrastinating or if I just happened to learn it from her, but I'm sure you can guess what it is. It's the idea of you put off a task by eating instead. I want you to think for a minute, like, when do you do that in your life? Like, when when do you imagine like, ah, yeah, that's what I do. For me, it often presents itself when I have to work on something really tricky with technology. Like if I'm on a website, so I... I build my course, uh, Fitter After 40. It's on a website called Kajabi. And I often have to like tweak things on that site. And wow, it's, it's a lot for me. It's a lot for me to do and to figure out. And often I find myself noticing the thought, I could go, I should eat something. I could use a snack. Let me get up and let me get up and have a protein bar. Like I have these ideas a lot as I'm starting to do that. And it's really this friction of, I don't want to do this work. And what it seems like an acceptable reason to not do this work right now, eating, right? We're all human. We all have to eat. That feels like a really acceptable way for us to not start the task in front of us. So here's a couple ideas of what to do. First is becoming aware of the urge, which you clearly are. I think it's fantastic. A lot of you listening might be like, oh my gosh, I've never thought about this, but yeah, I do that. What I want you to do is start paying attention to patterns here. Okay. Notice when does this typically come up for you? Is it in that time? Like you get home, you've had a full day at work. You know, you have a lot to do. Like you need to start the dishes and you need to do some laundry and you got to work on your taxes or whatever it is. But instead you're like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to eat. I'm going to sit here on the couch and eat these chips. Become aware of when you typically procrastinate. That's the first step. Then insert a pause there. Okay. As you, and you'll originally, you will likely be already eating as you notice this. And that's a good time to stop and say to yourself like, oh, here, here I am doing this again. 
I am sitting on the sofa with a bag of chips and I know I have this like list of things I should, should, I'm supposed to be doing, right? So become aware of that. Over time, ideally that pause is gonna come before you actually do it. Like you'll have paid attention to this and you'll notice like, oh, right. I'm getting ready to open this cupboard and get the chips because I don't really wanna get started on the night's tasks. And so this feels like a good break for me. So insert that pause there and then ask yourself during that pause, am I hungry? Because look, sometimes we're procrastinating and we're actually hungry. In which case, if the answer is yes, go ahead and make yourself your meal or your snack, put it on a plate or in a bowl and sit down at a table and focus on eating it and then move on to your task. If you're not hungry, consider taking a break to do something other than eat. Ideally, at a time that you're not actually feeling like you want to procrastinate, make yourself a little menu of items that you could sub in place of eating. So maybe that's legitimately like I'm going to lay down on the sofa and close my eyes for 10 minutes. Maybe it's I'm going to go outside and get fresh air. Maybe it's I'm going to play with my dog. It's I'm going to phone my friend. Something that's an actual break for you and do that instead of eating. Acknowledge the friction that you're facing with the task in front of yourself. This is really important like to note, like I have a lot of friction about this task. Why do I have this friction? Is this a task I need to do? Is this a task I can delegate? Is this a task um, I could put at a time that would be more optimal in my schedule? Look, we're always going to have tasks that we don't like doing. And in which case you can remind yourself like, hey, I can do hard things and I'm going to be self-compassionate. I'm going to make sure that the number of things I'm asking myself to do in a day is reasonable that it's actually doable. And if it's not, you can make adjustments there. So really be self-compassionate as you do this. And then take those breaks, schedule them for you. If you have the thought, like I shouldn't be taking a break, like I should be working, remind yourself of two things. One, sometimes taking a break is the best thing you can do for your productivity. And remind yourself too, that you have a goal you're trying to lose weight and it is not serving you to continually put off the task you want you need to do with food and one way you can help reduce that is by taking these breaks to do something that's not eating and they don't have to be long you know we don't want you to extend your task list like so 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 long but you know if you were going to take 5 minutes to go and like you know get some chips and hummus or grab a granola bar take 5 minutes to play with your dog you see? So sub something else in for that behavior. The first step you've really got down here is that you're super aware that you do it. So really start paying attention to those patterns. When does this come up for you? Great, great question, Lee. I hope that helps. Thanks so much for being here with me today. I'm going to be back next week. I have a fantastic episode for you. I recorded um, with one of my Fitter After 40 alumni. Her name is Trina. And we recorded just a couple of weeks ago. She has had an amazing transformation since she joined Fitter After 40 last fall. I think you'll find it really inspiring. Um, she talks about how exactly she has lost weight. I think, um, okay, don't quote me on this number. I'm pretty sure it's close. Pretty sure she's lost 25 pounds um, as of our recording, which was about a month ago. So from September to January, she lost 25 pounds. So tune in next week. Um, you can hear from Trina. All right. Talk to you later.